I'm Arlen Hamilton, and I'm an investor. In 2015, I launched Backstage Capital, a venture capital fund, after experiencing food and housing insecurity for most of my life. I wanted to invest in companies led by founders who are women, people of color, and LGBTQ, just like me. I have invested in more than 150 companies since 2015 and growing. I started Your First Million to understand what it was like to make your first million dollars, get your first million fans or downloads, and to see if there was a common thread between us all. Join me as I talk to people from all walks of life about how they got where they are, what they learned on the way, and where they're going. And for those of you who are wondering, yes, I made my first million. <laughs> Let's talk about it. They slept on me, but now they won't. Because I got a million. Fresh out the mud, but I'm clean and so. Because I got a million. I got my first million. I got my. Hey, Janine. How are you? Hey, Arlen. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I am thrilled to talk to you. And it's been um, a few weeks since we met each other in person. Yeah. We saw each other in person. I got a little rain going on behind me. So <laughs> I don't know well, if you can, I can hear that. I'm in downtown DC. So I closed the windows. It's a nice day. So I wanted to have some air flowing through, but then all you hear are roaring uh, fire trucks and ambulances because I live downtown. So yeah. I'm yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to get right into it because um, when you came up to me at the event in Los Angeles, and I don't want to tell you business, so you can say what event it was if you want. We were at Afrotech Exec. I can say that. <laughs> yep. It was great. And you it were so great gracious because I just walked right up to you. I was like, hey, Arlen. <laughs> well, hey, I, I just loved your, what, you, what you're doing. And I wanted, I said immediately, I got to get you on the podcast. So... Um, if you would just tell us a little bit about what your role is and what you do at your company. Yeah. So my name is Janine Uzel. I am the chief executive officer for the National Society of Black Engineers, known as NSBE. I'm their first CEO, so the first female CEO. And um, NSBE is an organization, a society made up of students collegiates, professionals um, that are on a journey for technology degrees um, so that we engage with them throughout their collegiate experience and then beyond. I'm a product of Nesby, was a member when I was in college. We now do everything, and we'll, maybe we'll dig into this, we do everything from pre-college initiative youth programs where we're in the communities doing summer camps, teaching um, black and brown kids all about coding and, and how to solve engineering problems, um, and then all the way through their collegiate years into professionals and, and putting them into the workforce, which even though we're graduating, 23 or so percent, we only make up 9% of the workforce. And it'll be, you know, interesting to talk about why we don't stay and work in these areas. I'm a mechanical engineer by training. So, uh, you know, hands on the wrench, on the keyboard, spent a lot of my uh, formative early career years working in technology, specifically in healthcare in the emerging markets. So I spent years living in Africa and overseas studying how to use technology to solve healthcare problems for women um, in really adverse communities in you know emerging parts of the world. That's kind of the, yeah. the story of who I am. 
And then how did your, your past kind of inform this role? Well, you know, before I came to Nesby, I spent 16 years uh, at, G- at GE working and went on a very non-traditional path of engineering and global assignments and just some of the most incredible things that could happen to, you know, Black girl from New Jersey. Um, but I'll say this to your audience. My experience is because I said yes to assignments, to really strange sounding startup, weird things that didn't have a whole lot of structure and shape to them. Every time I was like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. And that's not the same thing as being a yes man. It's saying yes to things that you can create. And that has been, you know, amazing for my career. And when I left GE, I went to build an operations office at Wikimedia, which is the organization that runs Wikipedia. And I had an opportunity to do really, really fun and hard work there, uh, supporting disinformation, supporting um, much of what's happened in the Black community over the past 19 months and how that content is shared on Wikipedia and recognized and accurate. And then, you know, get a chance to bring it all the way back home to where I started. And this is where um, freedom and wealth and fiscal agility matter for women, particularly women of color, because I was able to take this job um, because of the experiences and the opportunities that I've had beforehand. And then I can come back to Nesby and kind of be more grassroots and, and dig in. Yeah. So you were mentioning before, and by the way, when you said it doesn't make you a yes man, I heard it makes you a yes man. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yes, yes, comma, man, comma, man. Man. Right. not like oh. a whatever you oh. like. Yeah, that's yeah. not what it is. So you were speaking before about your your time out of school and, and working in healthcare at the beginning of that. And kind of what is your driving force, do you think? So I think my driving force is certainly that I love a challenge. I love fresh new ideas. Um, And I'll be honest, a lot of times once they're worked into play, I kind of get bored. I'm like, okay, I'm good. Next thing. Um, So I love to create and build. Um, I fell in love with the world at a young age, just with a map and a globe in my in my bedroom. My siblings are are older than me, so they were on their way to college by the time I was going, coming up. And they left behind those kinds of things uh, way back when we had Webster's dictionaries and actual globes and maps. And I would just look at the world. And I remember clearly my father, who is deceased now saying, you know, I can't take you to those places, but I'm going to educate you so that you'll be able to go. Mm. And um, that's just been um, a turning point for me. And I'll say, as a Black woman, I can tell you, Arlen, that there are so few of us working in the international waters. Um, Very few Black people take international assignments. Very few of us haven't take on the opportunity to go and lead work in other spaces. And I can tell you that it makes such a difference in how you lead your work, your family, your personal life, when you're exposed to different perspectives. And then the secret that they don't always tell you is being an expat for a multinational um, can create great wealth for one person. So, you know, because you spend much of your career on the expense of the organization that's sponsoring you. Those are, that's how I was able to build 
extra reserves, I guess you might say, that I can now use to invest in things that matter most to me with Black businesses, Black women in business, and, and all of that is a part of the outcomes of the yes. Hey, just popping in for a second. Don't forget to visit HireRunner.co, H-I-R-E, Runner.co, to check out my new recruiting company called Runner. Check out what we're doing. We're, we're experimenting. We're figuring things out. We have some amazing feedback so far from people we've already matched um, and people who have become runners. And so you have on one side people who are looking for that extra help to help them unlock what they're doing, to help them open up 40 plus hours a month of time that they could spend doing something else and focusing uh, somewhere else. And then on the other hand, you have people who may be looking for work, have no work and looking for work and are just great at operations or people who have a job but know that they want to pivot, know that they want more flexibility. They want to work with more inclusive companies. They want to work with more uh, startups because that is where the excitement is. All kinds of use cases on both sides. Check out the site to hear and see more. HireRunner.co. Let's get back to it. Well, this podcast is about getting to your first million and beyond. We take different pieces from people's lives and different takeaways. You just touched on something that I'm a big fan of talking about, which is multiple income streams or and or multiple ways that you express yourself with capital. Um, so as many income streams as I have, I also have, oh, I'm going to have, I have scholarships here and I have personal finance here and this and that. And it sounds like that's what you're saying. Can you elaborate a little bit? I think people's ears just perked up, especially those who do enjoy travel. What um, what types of jobs are there out there that kind of in your in your space, in your world that you've seen? Well, because the world has so many challenges that can be solved through a, a technology lens, the the opportunities are I want to say they're endless. I, um, like I said, my background in mechanical engineering, uh, I worked in the global health space, designing and redesigning and what they call reverse engineering. So taking a product that's very traditional here in the Americas, like ultrasound, that was actually the area I worked in. So ultrasound in America is like, um, we call it like a dishwasher. It's a pretty big piece of equipment. Reverse engineering that and making it handheld and you know, solar powered and taking that to the emerging market was some of the work that I did when I was at GE in healthcare. When you talk about multiple streams of income, you know, I, I learned that in my home. My father and his brothers were maybe slightly successful entrepreneurs, you know, um, they were hustlers as, and, um, you know, always doing multiple things to raise money for our family. And so my dad would always say to me, it's great that you have this job that you have at GE, but it can't be the only place that that funds you. And um, for too long in my career, I let it be that. I will tell you, I just was going to work, doing my job, getting it done and not thinking about the talent that I was bringing into a space. I would say I, I approach that very differently now. And so for members um, that are of your audience that are listening, that are saying, well, I have a pretty traditional corporate career. Maybe there's a lot of reasons why I can't do multiple streams of income. I would say, one, there's always um, 
the hustle, the things that you can invest in and be a part of. But I will tell you this, as much as I loved my career at GE, when I started to realize that it might intercept or interrupt my ability to have other streams of income, I chose to, to make a transition because mm-hmm. I didn't want to lose out on that. Mm-hmm. Now my focus is, one, how can I invest in, in businesses that, that matter? And one of the things that I've learned, even from listening to your show, is the investment size doesn't have to be huge. I used to always think I can't get into this because I don't have X dollars, X, X, X. But I have found, especially for, for women-owned and Black businesses, this, the, the amounts that we think could be insignificant are so powerfully impactful to them. And so being able to um, invest in these businesses, board service is another way, sitting on corporate boards or boards where you're compensated. One, the experiences that we've had and the perspective that we bring as women, as women of color is so necessary. And that's another one. And then most recently, I think my the thing that I'm loving the most is um, a group that I'm leading and learning from, I am now the chairwoman of a SPAC. So I now am chairing uh, Graybridge Acquisition Corp, which is not the first, but only one of two that we've been able to identify all black SPACs. Mm-hmm. And we are made up of a community of folks that have gone to HBCUs, so historically black colleges and universities. And we're focusing in the area of fintech. And so Super different for me, but I'm learning and I'm bringing my leading skills and I'm ready to make that uh, a big part of my my next stream. Absolutely. And uh, um, definitely somebody's listening and they say they're they picked up and they say, well, how do I even get started doing something internationally? They're in the U.S. They're what's the first step you think or is there is there a first step that's general? I do think there's a first step and that is one you need to either work for or be engaged with the multinational. So if you work for an America's based company that does work in Kansas City and that's it, the likelihood that they're going to need that they're going to expand is is just limited. So you want to work for a multinational or position yourself to partner in that space. Many women that do this work um, are tied to organizations like the United Nations. It was it was very rare to come across a woman like myself that was working for a corporation. For profit, uh-huh. yes. Uh, yeah, for profit business. But it's very, very possible. Um, the other thing I would definitely certainly say is that um, if you are working in a, in a corporation that has a, a global footprint, that you then ensure that you're working on a global team. Many times, um, this is going to sound so simple, but many times it's as simple as letting people know you're interested and then saying yes. You would be surprised how many people don't let people know they're interested in global assignments. And then if they're given the opportunity, they do not take them because it's it's a brave step. It's bold. Bold. It is. It is brave and it can be so rewarding. And it's a it's a season, too. That's something right. that you learn from and you you bring back with you or you you move on from. Um, let's go back to first. First of all, let me just say I think these are gems, and I think so many people are going to get so much out of this. Somebody's life is being changed right now listening to this. Oh, cool. Can we go back to you mentioned earlier with the work that you do that twenty three percent of graduates are black engineers, you know, but uh, engineer graduates, but only nine or so percent get placed. Why do you think that is? Why do you know that is with data? 
So only about nine, the data shows only about 9% are making up the traditional workforce. So that might be profit, nonprofit, corporate roles, academia. What we're seeing specifically is that the marketplace for this next generation of graduates is not meeting their need. They are not willing to work in places and in spaces that don't fortify their life in a balanced way. Something that I never thought of when I graduated, I was like, I guess if I have to live in a dungeon and work every day, that's just what I have to do. So they're not willing to do that. They're not willing uh, to work in partnership with organizations that aren't supporting maybe their personal convictions. And so you're finding um, that People are saying, I just don't want to work here. This isn't what I believe in. And then the other piece is that these organizations have not solved their diversity, equity, and inclusion challenges. And so you are in in an environment, in a space that is, is, it just creates so much angst on an individual so that you're coming into a space and then you're leaving. And that's the complete opposite of my work experience. I went in thinking I had to tolerate everything. When I was 25, I'm just out of college. I just have to work. I didn't even realize that I could make decisions that would, um, I don't know, that would that would be good for my personal life. Yeah, it sounds like um, everything that you're saying in this part, portion is, tar- is speaking to me as the CEO of Runner, the recruiting mm. app yes. that launched. It's speaking to me. We, we focus on operators, but we also get a lot of requests for sales, marketing, and mostly tech. And it, the reason people are so drawn to Runner is that they do get to curate their careers. They do have us as sort of that barrier of like their W-2 with Runner and we're placing them in different places. And so if that talent is so, it's so valuable, that talent. And if they don't like where they are, if they don't like where they're being placed, they're going to leave. Right. And that's what we're seeing in droves. So um, to be able to be a conduit and a matchmaker uh, for inclusive companies who are who get it uh, is really, really fun. Talk to me as we start to close out. Talk to me about the role you have and how you change that number from 9% to 23%. Well, certainly the first way you do that is you have to continue to fill the pipeline. So it's all of the work that we do with that younger crowd, the Nesby Jr., the youth. It's very important, specifically for women um, and young girls that are in that fifth and sixth grade primary school. If you're not in school in the Americas, more your primary. There's a shift that happens where being smart and being in tech is not cool and it's nerdy and they don't want to do it anymore. So keeping them engaged and finding ways to make coding and things like that interesting to them. One of my cousins taught um, a coding class for the summer and she taught girls in the, in the inner city how to code by braiding. She's like, they know how to braid, they braid hair. So let's teach them the code that way. Something that makes it fun. Right. I mean, I would have never thought of that. That's the next generation. I was like, wow, that is very cool. So we have to keep them engaged. We got to fill that pipeline. We can graduate them. There is a challenge with graduation and that involves finances. We know that black students, students of color struggle um, financially. And so they do finish school with a lot more debt than uh, other students. I was very, very fortunate in that I didn't have debt when I graduated college. It puts you, the debt, going to school without a fee puts you 10 years ahead of, you know, of a graduate mm. that's 
having um, to take on debt. That's another wealth shackle that we as Blacks don't don't have, um, that we have. And then, you know, putting them into that workplace. I personally think that we need to create more of an entrepreneurial track in the universities, because I think a lot of of our students are going to want to go that route because they're not having the best of experiences. But there's a, a whole separate design when it comes to women. Yeah, man, Runner is just right in the middle of that, you know, the entrepreneur mindset for the corporate world and then attempt to hire. I also love that statistic. I did not know about the 10 year gap because my mother and I have been able to do a few scholarships and will continue to do as as wealth is built scholarships. And if you know that going if you go know that going into it, you know exactly what you need to do. You need to make that, you know, that path easier. Right. Uh, so, you know, so is, is Nesby a for-profit or non-profit? Nesby is a non-profit. We are 47 years old. I almost sometimes try to like to consider us like the first black startup because we were started by two men at Purdue University that wanted to kind of grow and support our community of black engineers. So we're on our path to 50 years old. We have three more years. I hope that over the next couple of years, you and I will have a few conversations about what that looks like and, and how we're getting there. Nesby is big on scholarships as well. They they paid a lot of my college tuition through partnerships that we have with our major corporate sponsors that fund scholarships for the students. These these are Black engineers with 3.0 and above GPAs. These kids are brilliant. These are the people we want out here solving the world's problems. So I have two follow-up questions to that very specific thing. One is, how does someone, if they're a family office, they're a high net worth individual or their corporation work at one, they want to support Nesby, they want to get in touch with you right away. How do they do that? How do they support? Thank you for asking that, because this is one of the power pieces of, of being on this show is it's the, the non-traditional funder for Nesby. You can reach out. First of all, you can learn more about what we do in social justice technology at nsbe.org. National Society of Black Engineers.org. You can reach out to me um, on my social media on Twitter, which is at Janine Uzel, J A N E E N U Z Z E L L. You can email me at juzel at nesby.org. We will be on the lookout uh, on our website. There are some general info forms you can fill out because anyone that is interested in supporting what it means to keep um, and to build the diversity pipeline for technology, Nesby is a well-established resource, 47 years, and almost every major traditional corporation as a partner. And I hope some of my friends who are listening, who are supporters of backstage, supporters of uh, all sorts of things, I hope you'll look at this as part of your yearly giving or your corporate sponsorship. The last thing I wanted to ask you about, we have just a couple minutes left. Wanted to ask you, because today Runner does not work, we work specifically with operators like people ops, HR, uh, EAs, et cetera. I do want to think future-wise, I am partnering with a few people in different roles how do I, uh, how does, who, how do I at Runner and then how do others at corporations get your members in front of them for potential hiring? Great, great question. And the way that happens is, so there's a few components. We have an annual convention every year in March. This year it's hybrid, but you, you normally get about 14,000 students that are 
on the job search at this convention. We will have half of that in person this year in March in Anaheim. What date is that? That is uh, March like 22nd through the 25th in Anaheim, California this year. The other way, and and that's just a part of that partnership. And then, you know, there's your general booth speaking, partnering, interviewing. And then we also have um, a MyNesby. It's a, a portal where you can post jobs, where our community can then post their resumes and be sought after for jobs. And that's both our collegiates and the Nesby professionals are those that are like zero to five years outside of graduation. They're already working and they, you know, they're kind of changing their careers a bit more, looking for new roles. That's a community you want to touch. I want to thank you so, so much for your time. Um, I think that you have, you've done a lot of things in this short amount of time. And I think it's really inspiring what, what can, is possible. I know it's just the tip of the iceberg about what you, of what you talk about. How do people, do they, do you have social, I know you have social, but people, do you have a blog? Do you have somewhere where you share your thoughts? So I, I probably need to work on that. I don't don't do that. And you know what? I'm a storyteller by nature. So maybe you're going to push me to do, to do something different there. Um, You can always uh, follow on Nesby on social media as well, but I feel like now I have a challenge so that I can come (laughs) back and say, Hey, Arlen, look what I've been up to. I would love to see it. More people need to hear from you. And that, that event in March, hope it happens. I I understand COVID is, it's crazy, but whether it's virtual or in person or hybrid, that sounds amazing. And I would love to be part of that. So I will see you then and people will check you out from this uh, interview. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Hey, it's Arlen. Thanks for listening to this episode. So I would love to keep up with you online. You can find me at Arlen Was Here on Instagram and on Twitter. That's A-R-L-A-N Was Here. I cannot wait to continue this conversation with you. Your First Million is produced by Anna Eichenauer, executive producer Arlen Hamilton. Associate producer, Chacho Valadez. Theme song is used by permission by the artist, Tobey Nguigwe.